G'day, Phil Gould here. You are listening to Set Restart, the podcast which tackles all things rugby league, from grassroots levels right through to the professionals. No topic gets the red card on Set Restart. Welcome to another episode of Set Restart. I'm Craig O'Donnell. And I'm Joe Morley. Well, listeners, unfortunately, we are yet again guestless, but it's it's not for the lack of trying. We have actually, um, or we were scheduled to have head of youth from Hull Kingston Rovers, John Bastian, on the show, joining us tonight um, or this week. We've been in touch with John. We've spoken with John today and we, we have actually rearranged. He's got a busy work schedule now that uh, obviously the academy lads are, are back training, so... Um, it's just Joe and I tonight, with plenty for us to talk about, but we can confirm that John will be joining us, and when we know when that episode will drop, we'll we'll put that out on our Twitter channel, and then if you've got any questions that you'd like us to ask John, um, you know, we'll, we'll consider putting them to him, but we're, we're both uh, looking forward to having John on, aren't we, Joe? Yeah, very much so, Craig. Um, I mentioned to mentioned it to a few people, and and the reports that we've had about John is 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 top class. You know, apparently he's an absolute diamond of a bloke. But but not only that, his passion for rugby league is it, it, endless, and he's been around the game for for many years. And I think it's a real coup what Hulky was able to do and bringing him in. And yeah, I'm sure that you've got plenty of questions for him, and well, I certainly do, Craig. So, so yeah, no, looking forward to seeing what questions we do get in, and I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic uh, opportunity to discuss rugby league in some detail. Yeah, so that's on the horizon. So we'll obviously focus our attentions back to tonight's or this week's episode, um, and we, we've got a few discussion points, but I think we're going to kickstart with the. Uh, following what's happened at the weekend with the City of Hull actually being responsible for breaking two um, Super League records in the fastest try from one side of the river and the most tackles in a game from the other side of the river. Um, you'd never have thought that would have happened, Joe, would you? No, <laughs> like you, you switch on the telly to watch Hull uh, and Huddersfield on last Friday and... Uh... Yeah, you blinked and you missed the first try. It was absolutely incredible. And that old saying, never let a rugby ball bounce. Well, you never have a better example for that. Obviously, Huddersfield let the ball bounce for whatever reason. Nobody committed to, to dive on the ball. And there, there comes Ben Crook, seven seconds, straight over for, for a four-pointer. So, yeah, you couldn't, couldn't have asked for a better start, Craig. And then... I mean, we, we we might chat about that game in a bit more detail. Then, obviously, on on Sunday, across the across in the west of the city at the KCOM Stadium, in in what sounded like a um, an intense battle between LFC and Warrington Wolves, Danny Outen, I mean, eighty five tackles and zero missed tackles. I mean, that that's just monumental effort. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I don't know if people were writing off Danny Alton last year with obviously the emergence of Jordan and Johnston and, and he was and he took the starting position. But Brett Austin showed a lot of trust in Danny Alton right from the off. And, he, you know, he started every Super League game and he just seems to be getting, well, his work rate. We've never questioned his work rate, but that's just something which is... Obviously, no one's done that before. You know, 85 tackles, zero missed. He's covered over 10 kilometres, and that's not taken into account. He's involved probably in over 75% of Hull FC's play because, you know, he's a dummy half, so he gets his hands on the ball nearly every tackle. You know, for for those concentration levels, that work rate, that intensity, but to, to also to produce the quality, you know, the, the quality that he shows is 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 phenomenal. And, um, you know... He had Daryl Clark in his back pocket on Sunday, Craig. Okay, so shall we stick with the Hull FC Warrington game for now, and then we'll, we'll go back to to the Rovers game. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to hold my hands up now. I saw the first half of the 
Hull Warrington game. Um, I was watching someone was streaming it on Facebook, so I, I was I've managed to to watch uh, the majority of it there. Obviously, didn't see the second half, um, but I've I've seen the highlights of, of of the game since then, and and I think whilst I know for you, Joe, you'll you'll say that you'd have taken the point before the game, it's still a point dropped, isn't it? Surely. Yeah, considering that that last try was, it, it seemed a bit soft, and obviously it was right on the on the hooter. Um, yeah, Mamo's just stepped inside Griffin, and Sneed just hasn't got hasn't got across a, a quick enough, and he's he's kind of in that that space where does Sneed make the tackle, does Griffin make the tackle, and in the end, none of them's made the tackle, and and he's gone underneath the sticks to score, which is obviously very disappointing, and. Then going into Golden Point, you know, I think looking, look, you know, looking at the game, both teams had unbelievable opportunities to, 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 to win the game. You know, Blake Austin missed, missed two drop goals, and so did Mark Sneed, who you normally expect to, to slot it. So I think on the, on the overall balance of the game, Craig, there wasn't much in it. You know, it was certainly defences on top, very, very intense game, maybe lacked a bit of quality and attack, but. I think on the balance of things, I think a point was was the right result um, for for both teams. But considering that Hull FC, you know, going into the last seconds were, were winning and, and conceding that try right at the death, that's maybe where you feel a little bit gutted. But I think on the whole, it will be a good point going forward. And certainly, you know, we, we asked the question, can Hull FC back it up against a, a top level team? And, you know, Warrington are going to be up there at the end of the year. Might not necessarily win the competition, but they're certainly going to be up there. Um, I think you know, hold hold tip that box, and and it's it's good, isn't it? That we're disappointed that they haven't won, you know. So I think going forward, that's that's all well and good, and hopefully, like you say, it's consistency is the key, and they've got to back it up week in week out. But the signs are good, you know. Brett Austin's coming out saying all the right things, you know. You can obviously tell they've had a massive emphasis on defence and. That's showing in abundance, um, and it's just piecing that attack together. But I'm sure that will come as the season develops. And I guess if it, you know, if it wasn't for that momentary lacking concentration on on our left edge in those dying seconds, Hull would have been sitting pretty three from three with a hundred percent instead of we're on um two from three at, what is it eighty three percent or whatever yeah. that the league is worked out on there was a bit of a controversial moment before that uh, final Warrington score as well as I understand it the um <laughs> well from what you hear the, the the Warrington player was forced into touch but Warrington retained possession and and had a start again um from the center of the field what what do you know about that Oh, yeah, well, I saw the game and, and also um, saw saw the the clip of it slow down afterwards on on social media. Um, you know, the the touch judge is is in the perfect position, and then I think obviously he put his what, flag up as well, didn't he? What what he yeah, obviously the flag shows that he puts the flag up when the ball goes into touch. What what he's saying is is that the yeah the warranty guy, I think it is Mamo. Um, as he's been thrown into touch, he's, he's thrown the ball back in, into field and, and it's hit Griffin and Griffin and it's gone back into touch. Um, and he's saying that Griffin's made a play at the ball and therefore it's a Warrington scrum. Look, the, the touch judge is in the perfect position. Um, well, you know, we're seeing it from a from a, a far away angle. You've got to go with the touch judge's decision. And to be fair to the Hull FC players, they weren't exactly arguing the decision. Uh, but I actually, I think that points to something else that Hull FC's has certainly improved this year, and that is that is discipline. I think previously, you know, under Lee Radford and and Andy Last, um, you know, we, we we was known for for arguing with the referees and back chatting and not accepting decisions, and maybe that if that attitude affects your defence when you're defending those back-to-back penalties. You know, that attitude isn't there to to rectify the mistakes that you've made. And I think this year we've, we've hardly seen any back chat whatsoever. You know, they've got on with the game. Even Jake Connor's been quiet by by his standards. So I think 
that was probably a good indicator again that Hull FC are, are concentrating on the game rather than getting involved in something which they don't need to. Yeah, they're positive sounds, them, Joe. It's funny you mentioned Jake Connor. Just thinking back to that, um, that that actual final try. Um, I, I've seen the footage, but I can't quite quite remember it because I've seen a lot since of, of other footage. But is there a question mark over Jake's position when when Mamo breaks the Griffin and Sneed tackle? Had he gone too far left? Because he seemed Mamo seemed to be able to. Um, go completely sort of unchallenged towards the line once he'd broken that, that, that attempted tackle? Not that I've picked up, Craig. That's a, that's a very interesting thought um, from from what I... Well, my opinion is he's following the ball, which which is what you've got to do. You've got to track the ball across the pitch. He's made the break and Mamo steps off his right foot and I'm sure Jake Connor loses his footing. I'm sure he loses Possibly. his footing at that moment in time. And, and that's maybe why he goes through untouched. But what I'd also say is, by the time he's broken the line, he's about he's a couple of metres away. So even if he could have probably got there to try and tackle him, it'd have been over the line anyways and got the ball down. Yeah. Maybe he wouldn't have been able to get it as close to the sticks, but it still would have been kickable for Gareth Widdup, you know. I, I don't know why he isn't the, the, the main kicker, but, you know, throughout his career, he's been a, a very good goal kicker, so I'd I'd have expected him to get the two points anyway. Yeah, my, my, my blame, if you want to blame anybody for that try, it, it is with Griffin and Sneed, and I think they're both a little bit hesitant because who's making the tackle? Is it Sneed? Is it Griffin? By the time they've both gone for him, he's, 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 he's through. So, yeah, I think, obviously, my, my love of Jake Connor is, uh, <laughs> is well known, so maybe I am biased, but... Um, Maybe you maybe you're right, Joe, in, in your assessment of that. I've got a little bit of a story to tell you following last week's episode of, of Set Restart. But my final point and, and I think this this is interesting in relation to certainly one game that we both watched in the NRL recently. And and, and I think this is this could be the difference between Hull FC being a grand final winning side to being that you know to, to still being the bridesmaid I, I guess in 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 this particular competition but if you cast your mind back um a few weeks and it i can't remember who penrith were playing but do you remember the incident where Viliami kikau was on on the left edge and and he he, he either missed a tackle or he got involved in something but then he was actually the player that made the effort to come to Penrith's right-hand side in defence to prevent the attacking player from scoring. And and, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm being uber-critical here, and, and I accept that. But as I say, this would be the difference from Hull FC being where they are in terms of challenging for the grand final to actually winning the grand final. We, you would have liked to have seen maybe someone from Hull FC's right edge starting to... To, to fill a cross, given the fact it was the dying seconds and that, that they were within, you know, 14 seconds of two points against Warrington, that could have been the difference there as well. You know, what what's your thoughts on that, Joe? Yeah, I think the game you're referring to is the, the Penrith-Melbourne game um, and that, that level of desperation. I think that's the word, Craig, isn't it? Desperation, making sure that you're using every ounce of energy to prevent them from scoring. I think, to be fair to Hull FC, they've done that. They've done that this year to a certain extent. You know, the Huddersfield game maybe switched off towards the back end and let Huddersfield score a consolation try. The Salford game, they was absolutely in, in control. That was probably our 80-minute performance there. Feverston, yeah, second half, let them back into it. Or not back into it, but you know our performance levels and that desperation certainly wasn't there in the second half. And then, yeah, right at the very end against Warrington. But you know, it's probably a good time to do that, Craig, isn't it? To learn that lesson, you know, that those lessons do need to be learned. It's good to do it now rather than in a semi-final back end. So yeah, so yeah, I think that's something which which you'd like to think, you know, under Brett Hodgson, that's something that they've identified and going forward, they can show those levels of desperation to, to keep that back door shut. I would possibly describe it as as 
desire and will to win as as well as desperation. But it is those one percenters, isn't it, that that take you to the next level in in elite sport like that. And I, and I think Penrith probably learnt that from from their season that they had last year, but they didn't quite you know take out the the grand final. Whereas this year they seem to be putting in. Um, those little extras, as I say, one percenters, and and it's and it's those that will actually help LFC uh, rise to the to the next level. So, um, yeah, let's move on now and have a bit of a reflection on on the Hulkingston Rovers Huddersfield game. I think if you're a neutral watching that, which you know, granted there probably aren't very many of those in the city of Hull, you're either red and white, black and white, or or you don't follow rugby league. Um, but for the neutral watching it on Sky, it was an entertaining game. Um, you know, Rovers got off to a flying start, as we've, we've mentioned already, Ben Crooks scoring after just seven seconds. And then I can't remember sort of what within what time frame it was, but 18 nil up, um, you would have can't, if you're a Rovers fan, you, 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 you wanting them to go on and, and 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 drive that nail into the coffin, aren't you? And and be thirty six nil up after sixty minutes or something like that. Um, but for, as I say, from a neutral's perspective, it it you know that the the ebb and flow of the game came into it. Rovers lacking lapses in concentration played the part, and Huddersfield, I guess, grew a little bit in confidence. Um, although we're were pretty poor to watching those opening twenty minutes, Joe. Yeah, I think momentum's probably how I'm going to describe this game. You know, Hulkiast got all the momentum from their flying start. I think Huddersfield were absolutely shell shocked, and like you say, Hulkiast was able to race to a to an eighteen nil advantage. Um, then after the second half, you know, I'm going to keep saying it, Huddersfield are going to be a good team. They've got <laughs> to be a good team. You know, they've got the personnel to do it. I like Ian Watson. I'm hoping he can prove me right throughout the season. But, you know, as the weeks go... You, you got some money starts... on it, Joe. No, I've got no money on it. No, no. but like you say, as the weeks go, you, you begin to question it, don't you? And I'm sure the Huddersfield fans are. But they managed to, you know, get a bit of luck, you know. I think the reason why it was entertaining was because of the controversy from from the video ref and the referee, you know, that, that decision to disallow Hulkayar's um, try from the kick where he's he, he pushed him in the face and he's made a meal of it. He's like Mo Salah jumping on the floor, crying and screaming. And the video ref has, has ruled in Huddersfield's favour. And then the very next set, they go up the other end and score. And bang, that momentum switched again. And, and Huddersfield rode that to get themselves back into it. And, and as a Hulkier fan, as a Hulkier, as a club, I bet they're thinking, oh no, it, it's deja vu, it's the Castleford game all over again. We don't want Golden Point, we don't want this, we don't want that. And then, and then another video referee decision goes against them with, or I think it goes against them with, with the knock-on on the in-goal area. But the video refs are judged that to go backwards. But in my opinion, if that's given, if, if that happens anywhere else on the pitch, the referee gives a knock-on. But because they're able to go to the video ref and see it 50,000 times, they can judge it that it goes backwards. But for me, that just shows the absolute flaw in, in, in the video ref, uh, having the video referee. But, you know, fair play to Rovers. We asked them to, to show a bit of composure and, and to show that little bit of quality at the end. And, and they did that again. Probably they got a bit of luck, which they did deserve with that decision at the end. I, in my opinion, it was a ball steal, but I suppose they needed that bit of luck, OKR, because they've been unlucky. And and I bet they're really relieved that they've got the monkey off the back and, and they've got the two points. And it'd be really interesting now to see how they back it up against Leeds um, this weekend. So, so, yeah, well done, Rovers. And, yeah, hopefully they can take that momentum into, into the next game. Yeah, I'm going to focus on some of those points there, Joe. Um, start with the, the Lee Gaskell incident, and I'm not condoning the way that he reacted because the last thing we want to see in in our game of rugby league is 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 theatrical performances and and the you know the 
the dying swan and, and a bit of diving and, and what have you. Um, but I'm picking up on something Terry O'Connor said in the Sky commentary at the time because there was a bit of debate going on between those guys as to whether or not it constituted a, a penalty. Um, and I guess within the letter of the law of the game, um, it was impeded. Um, you know, and and sometimes I, when when I'm in conversation with people who will talk about how how rugby union sort of get away with what they get away with and, and the way that they um, well, what am I trying to say here? He's, he's the, the the sponsorship they get, the way that they're treated, and and it's like don't blame the players, blame the sport sort of thing. And and, and those incidents that we're just talking about there in the Rovers Huddersfield game, we can't blame. You can blame Lee Gaskell for diving. You can't blame Lee Gaskell for for trying to get his side that penalty. Uh, you can't blame McQueen for trying to, well, shall we say, pull the wool over people's eyes or trying to score. And you can't blame, I think, was it was it uh, Jez Litton or Michael Lewis? I can't remember at the end. You can't blame them for trying to ensure that all Kingston Rovers won't walk away with, with the two points of that game with that ball steal. What we do need to look at is the standard of the on-field officiating and the standard of the video refereeing. And, and, it, and it's that that actually, in my view, is dragging the game down. If we talk about in isolation the way that Lee Gaskell reacted, that will also drag the game down and that needs stamping out. And I hope that Ian Watson and, and his own teammates have actually said to him, you can cut that out or you might as well go play another sport um, because we don't want it. Nobody wants to see it. The game is a tough game and that's part of the attraction. That's one of its USPs. But we don't want this 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 you know, the diving nature creeping into the game. So for me, we can't blame the players for what they're trying to do. They're playing the game, if you like. They're playing the system, trying to, to manipulate the rules to their advantage. It's about how the game is 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 run, the laws in place, and then how they are officiated during a game. Have you got a response to that? Or do you think I'm talking nonsense? I always think you're talking nonsense, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I think the point that I want to make coming back to you is, is that technically the video referee got both of those decisions right. You know, by the, like you say, the letter of the law, the thing is with the video ref is they forensically analyse that situation. Too much. Look from it, they look at it at every angle, they slow it down, they speed it up. And if you're going to do that, you know, you're looking at the, the, the Lee Gaskell incident, he gets hands in his face. Well, that's against the law, that's against the rules of the game. You can't make contact with the head. So the video referee has to give a penalty based on that, you know, and, and then going to the, the, the knock on on the in goal or the loss of possession in the in goal area. Again, they've got the benefit of looking at it from every angle and slowing it down. But these only happen in the instances where there's a try, right? Where they've got the opportunity, they've got a break in the game where they can actually do that. See, I, I'm, I'm not saying that we should be doing this for every single part of the game, because the game would be an absolute farce, but it's the inconsistency of using the video referee which makes it flawed. You either want the game to be forensically forensically analysed to get every single decision right, or are we all just going to sit here and accept the referee's decision at the end of the game? Because that's what we need to do, and that's across all sports, football, rugby league, rugby union. The referees are human. They make mistakes just like players. But for me, the the, the situation of having the video referee forensi forensically analysing something which is opinion as well, which we're all saying, oh, he's dived and he's done this, or he's gone backwards, he's gone forwards, it's still opinion. 
that's where you get that inconsistency to us, but actually he's just forensically analysing it to the letter of the law. And for me, it's just an absolute waste of time. Let's just get on with the game. The referee makes a call, and I don't think the the referees are that bad. I honestly don't. I just think we need to, as, as, as fans and as watchers of the game, we just need to take a chill pill and just accept that you're gonna get, you like you're gonna that they're gonna get some decisions wrong in your opinion. But by the way, the referee, you know, is 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 qualified in this. He's an expert in this. Let's uh, so let's just trust what steady he's on, doing. Steady on, steady on. <laughs> let's just steady trust on. what he's doing. I have got the way I hate the video referee and what it's become. And what it's become, the, the, the probably the, the only thing that they can use it for, if they want to use it for, is to see whether it's touching goal, whether he's, he's, he's got because that is a yes or no decision. Just like the ball's gone over the line in um, in football, over the goal line, it's quick, it's easy, and we get back on with the game. Um, yeah, that's my rant over, Craig. <laughs> well, I'm I'm just going to continue a little bit. I would I would scrap the video ref completely. Yeah, I would, and and. One of my other issues with it, it was the Wakefield game the other week. I forget who they were playing. My memory's shocking. It's it's an age thing, people. I'm not as young as Joe. But Wakefield were on Sky the other week. And um, it, it was a Lino uh, try, I think. I can't remember. I think Kendall was ref. And I think, um, I'm sure Robix was video ref. Kendall said, he, he put the ball down. Lino put the ball down. Kendall, you know. Hosted, uh, halted play, went to the big screen, and you heard him clear because there's no crowds, is there? You heard him say, I want you to check onside, offside. All right. So, video ref starts the process and he checks onside, offside. Yeah, he's onside. So, that should just be an automatic try. Oh, but no, the video ref checks onside, offside. Let me just check that player didn't go in touch. And now let me check the grounding. But the referee awarded a try on field, but wanted to check onside, offside only. He didn't ask him to check whether he was in touch. And he didn't ask him to check the grounding. For me, our video referees spend too much time looking for reasons to disallow a try as opposed to rewarding the attacking rugby. And that's what winds me up. But the following procedure, Craig. No, that's they're not. The procedure. The, 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 ref, the on-field referee said, "I want you to check onside, offside." That's all he asked him to check. So that's all he should be checking. It, well, he might have done, but the procedure of the video referee is to clear the try. So, so he's cleared the bit which Kendall's asked him for, but then he has to clear the other phases of play. In which that case, in, in which case, then. Whenever anybody crosses the whitewash, whether it's a clear try or not, the referee shouldn't make any decision and just pass it to the video referee to run through the last set of six tackles looking for any bloody excuse to disallow it because it's ruining the sport. Why don't we just do it after every tackle, Craig, to see if there's been an infringement? That's exactly... If you want consistent right decisions, and you're never going to get that, you're never going to get 100%, but if, if we're all sitting there... Arguing, oh, did he reef the ball? Did he lose it? Was the contact with the head? We could analyze, was he onside? Was he offside? We can analyze everything frame by frame, every tackle, and we might get the right decision more times right than wrong. But what an absolute farce that would be in terms of entertainment. We want to be entertained. We all pay our subscriptions to Sky Sports or our league to watch rugby league. I want to watch rugby league, I don't want to watch. Forensic analysis of frame by frame replays. I hate it. I just want to watch a good, fast, open game of rugby league. And I tell you what, once we get that, there isn't a, a spect- there isn't another sport which produces a spectacle like rugby league. And let's get back to that. Let's accept referees' decisions. They might get the odd one wrong, but I tell you what, that's such an easier way of living and a better product to watch on the screen Joe Morley for Prime Minister that, that, that's your campaign speech right there Joe um, I completely agree um, you know I mean 
we can't even sit here and say that every video referee decision is 100% accurate. So what's the point in having it then? Just let the referees make the on-field call. Fans will have to suck it up whether, you know, it's the right call or not because it all balances out, doesn't it? It all balances out. As long as something doesn't cost you, I would say, relegation or the loss of a of a, a, a Challenge Cup final or a grand final, you know, if, if the decision is blatantly wrong, as you know, and it costs you those positions, then let's just let's just give the power back to the man in the middle, the two touches, and shut up moaning about because you know you, all you see on on social media is he's done this, he's done that, and he didn't do this. And like you said, Joe, it's just a matter of opinion, and opinions can be wrong. You're one of them, Craig, so I hope you're heeding to your own advice. <laughs> where, where do you see me doing that? <laughs> no, like, like, I'm a changed man. If there's a bad decision in the in the cup final, which you deem to have cost your side the, the, the cup, why don't you look at every single one of your players instead and say, well, let's see what mistakes they made, that bad pass, that penalty is given away. Uh, uh, that missed tackle, that poor kick, because every single player makes a mistake and the referee is exactly the same as that. Yep. Yeah. Right, let's put that to bed. Let's put that to bed and, and, and try and calm down. Um, for everyone listening, Joe's got steam coming out of his ears <laughs> and, he, and his face is looking like a Rabina berry. Let's move on. Let, let's move on to another, um, I guess, headline story that the Rugby Football League are, you know, undoubtedly involved with. And, and it came to light last night. I think both of us saw it um, possibly on Facebook, possibly from the same page. And, and this is the decision by the Rugby Football League to start and charge and and Joe you might need to correct me if I'm wrong on this but to start to charge anyone involved with the community game so your players your coaches um administrators admin your tea leaders your volunteers your touchline marshals a membership fee of I think it's 25 pound per annum yep which goes directly to the rugby football league now I don't know the finer details behind this, and and I don't know whether this is on top of what your community clubs would ordinarily um, have a, a subscription, you know, subs a subscription, weekly payment, monthly payment, however you do it. And I, and I think it's caused a little bit of uproar. They've, they've they've launched a survey to get people's views on this, I think, um, and and from what I can gather. You know, we we talked about it a little bit on Twitter over the last couple of days. We've only had one person come back to us with a bit of a positive slant on this. Um, Joe, you're involved in 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 Beverly Braves Rugby League and and Beverly Rugby League. I'm guessing you've got a little bit more detail. And and what can you tell us about it? Yeah, so I'm I'm going to read here what uh, the RFL has, has sent to clubs regarding this. So yeah, this is this is the, the the statement that they've made. So for many years, discussions have taken place about the sustainability and development of the community game, and these discussions stepped up in earnest towards the end of 2019, with the RFL and your community board working in partnership to develop a membership model that would work best for rugby league, and to ensure important services delivered centrally can be maintained and ensure the development of the game becomes less reliant on public funding. The plan was to introduce this membership in 2021, but due to the uniquely challenging circumstances, it was agreed to postpone the launch date to the 2022 season. To date, the RFL has been using the strength of its relationships with government and Sport England to cover the central costs of the community game. But there has been very clear guidance that all sports must look at ways of becoming more sustainable and membership is a clear and obvious way of continuing this vital journey. 
So, so they're going to say that, that that they're proposing a £25 membership fee. So like Craig rightly points out, this is for, for players, coaches, any volunteers at the club, any administrators, so like your club secretaries, your treasurers, your chairmans, have all got to pay a membership to be a part of our community game. Um, there is now a survey which is which is live. Um, but I, I, again, I would I would question the survey um, due to the, the wording of the questions and the phrasings of the questions um, um, basically mean or, or it, it seems to me that it means that this decision's been made and, it, and it's not for challenging uh, it's just to see how we would like the £25 going into the game so whether that goes on facilities does that go on in improving participation rates does that go on improving the dis- disability game and etc etc and they do say that part of this £25 uh, monthly payment uh, sorry yearly payment um well, you will get some insurance. So that's personal accident and public liability. So that removes the need for clubs to to do that. Um, and then, what's your initial thoughts, Craig? Because for me, reading that, I, I I don't get it whatsoever. I know they say that this is this this is happening in other sports, and that we've got to move away from being relying on central funding because that isn't always going to be there. But in my opinion, there's other ways to get this money rather than asking the hardworking volunteers of our game who, let's be right, you know, we're all pretty much working class people from a working class background who, you know, (laughs) disposable income is is at a premium. And and all of a sudden we're now asking people who who volunteer their, their, their valuable time and then they've got to pay for that privilege. So. So I've kind of that's a loaded question to you, Craig, really, but <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's my initial thoughts anyhow. I think in in relation to other sports doing this, I, I know that um, a local rugby union club, I, I won't say which one, I know that they have an annual um, subscription, if you like, and, and the amount varies on the age group of, of who you're actually representing um but at a certain age about under, under 13 14s it was 120 pound per year um but you didn't have to then pay weekly or monthly subs during the season um and, and i guess their argument is that, that those finances go towards Mind you, they don't even wash the kit because kids take their own kit home. Um, but maintaining the the facilities uh, at the ground, um, all, all that kind of stuff. So I guess we need to think about this in in individual cases per club. You you could tell us what the subscription costs are uh, at Beverly. They may differ to Westall, Scaler, Eastall, you know, Wyke, Mighton, wherever, Holderness, Vikings. Within our area, we've got different sort of levels of affluence. Um, some of our community rugby league teams are probably embedded in areas of... of a little bit of deprivation um and rugby league is their outlet is is their we were chatting earlier on today joke we and I, and I likened it a little bit to how the kids in the favelas in brazil play soccer to try and create an out for them to get them out of those favelas um those slums to get a better life and and it's not quite that bad in Hull, don't get me wrong, but <laughs> but there are there are what families. You the tourist bar, well, Craig. <laughs> I've I've been, you know, I I was coach of one one side once again. I'm not I'm not going to say who they were, and we had kids who were, who were the, the families were on the breadline. That you know, they, they they struggled to meet the club's subs. But they loved playing rugby league, and and what rugby league gave them 
was something to look forward to. It gave them a discipline. It gave them a, a, an environment to not only express themselves, but to get rid of any frustrations and, and you know, and stresses that they might have had during that week. I looked earlier on on the City of Hull, City of Hull District Rugby League Twitter account because I, I knew that they had recently posted um, an infographic that told us how many players had signed up and registered for this season, and it stands at 1,825. So that's 1,825 players across all teams. So there's at least... <sighs> What that's that that at twenty five pound that's forty five thousand six hundred and twenty twenty five pound. So that's forty five grand in Hull that will be generated towards the rugby football league. On top of that, will be twenty five quid from your coaches, your physios, your volunteers. I, I can't even guess as to what that total figure is. But have the rugby football league actually given any indication as to what that money is subsequently going to be used for? And also, my next question would be: There's no professional game without the amateur game, without the grassroots level. There's no professional game. What would happen if every community club in the in the country, not just in Hull, but in the country, said, "No, we're not paying it." You know, when you when you think about what's just happened overnight with the the European Super League in in the soccer situation, where the fans have effectively closed the door on that because they they disagreed with it, what would happen here? And what role do our professional clubs have to play in this? In 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 recognizing that every one of their players, aside from those that they buy-in from overseas, and I know you've got a view on this, Joe, every one of their players comes from either a community club within the city of Hull and Beverly or a community club in Yorkshire, in Lancashire, in Cumbria. What's the role of the professional sides in this? Surely they should be seeing how they need to contribute to this in some way, shape or form. It's a lot to discuss. It's a lot to digest. Um, if I was a parent of someone playing rugby league now, the chances are I'd probably be involved in the team because I love rugby league and it gives me that opportunity to spend quality time with my son or daughter if they're playing rugby league. Would I then... Uh, personally, I'd, I'd want to know where the money is going. What return are we getting on that? I'd probably pay it, but I would ask questions about why I'm paying it. What are we getting back from it? Somebody tweeted us to say that when someone from a community club signs professional forms with a with a with a professional side, Hull Rovers, whoever, the community club gets a measly three hundred and fifty pound for that. I never knew that before. And, and that's, for me, is a little bit of an insult. I've come back at you with a lot there, Joe. Um, <laughs> so let, let's start off with what your thoughts are on how the professional clubs could play a part in this. Because I, I, I do know that you've got an interesting view, certainly with regards to the overseas players. Well, they've got a, a massive part to play. For me, the RFL have come ask have come asking decent, hardworking people, and I'm not saying the professional clubs are decent, hardworking people, but they're at a privilege in terms of the amount the amounts of money that they earn um, for playing our great great sport. Where I'm going to say, us, us as volunteers, you know, we we work, you know, throughout the week and and, and over the weekends, and then in our spare time, we give that up to. To, to nurture and to develop and to and to put something back into the community to give these kids hopefully a pathway to making it into the professional game. So the professional clubs have surely have got a part to play in this and and, and the RFL surely if they want different revenue streams coming in they can't be looking at, at us 
to do that, they've got to be looking at at the top end of the sport. And and, and there's a few ways where they could get the money, in my opinion. You know, we've got a broadcasting deal coming up, um, which I think is currently being negotiated at, at this moment in time. And, and the RFL, you know, is a governing body of the sport. Surely they they should have the power or have the power to be able to say, right, whatever Sky, BT, Netflix, BBC, ITV are putting down on the table to to give to Super League clubs and to championship clubs to have the rights to show these games, that say, well, hold on, before you go and spend all that money on your overseas players and your marquee signings, we need, we need 5%, 10%, whatever it is to cover that cost to go back into the grassroots. So... In five years' time, ten years' time, in fifteen years' time, your academies are full of high-quality English-British talent. You know, Super League clubs plead poverty all the time. Oh, yeah, we haven't got the money to do this and that to upgrade our um, our stadiums or to to have a reserve team. We just don't have the money. But the next season, they go out and sign a a high-profile Aussie in inverted commas. And on inflated salaries to come over, and let's be honest, you know, the, we could count our hands actual genuine, high quality Australian or New Zealander or, um, or whatever nationality they are, who comes into the game, you know, that they they soon find the money for that. So for me, this is a bit of a kick in the face to the community game, when the professional clubs, you know, they get all that money from Sky at the moment. They get all that money from Sky at the moment, and all that does is just go on on the salary cap. Well, I tell you what, let's not let's not sign a Josh Reynolds next year. Let's not sign a Greg Inglis this year. And I tell you what, let's run a reserve team, or let's put let's put, put some of that money back into the grassroots, so we can have our Jordan Lanes, we can have our Joe Caters, we can have our George Lawlers coming through further on down the line. And for me as a supporter, you know, <laughs> I would love to see that. I would value that from Hull FC and Hull KR more than actually, you know, looking very, very short-sighted and signing a high-profile, in my opinion, overpaid player to come over and play our game. Um, and, and yeah, I've probably gone a bit strong there, but I do feel quite strongly about it. And, and I know other sports do this. But that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right. And those sports, you know, you know, if you want to compare us to rugby union, it's a totally different demographic playing that sport compared to what we are. We are, you know, by nature, by by our history, you know, we we you know we're, we're born out of hardworking men. You know, your you miners, you, you brickies. You know, you're we're a poor sport. We're, we're, we're a poor sport traditionally played by people of humble backgrounds there's many many a world-class rugby league player has come off a council estate having had nothing all their lives you know you don't you don't have to look too far away now in, in in into some of our teams and you've still got those players yeah. you read you read someone like jason jason robinson's autobiography you know, in, and that was his way out, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. and rugby league was his way out of of that 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 deprivation that and, he was experiencing as a, as and, a child. With, without the investment of Hunslet Parkside, I think it was where he he played his youth rugby. Without the investment of those coaches, um, you know, the volunteers down there, without them putting the time into nature, Jason and and keep him on the right path and show him what rugby league can do for him. I think by his own words, and, and don't quote me on this, but in, in a similar way, he wouldn't have ended up at Wigan Rugby League. And if he didn't end up at Wigan Rugby League, he wouldn't have ended up lifting the um, the, the Rugby Union World Cup for England. Exactly. Exactly. What, so, what impact do you think, obviously you can talk from a Beverly perspective, you know what costs are in place at Beverly for your players. Um, 
what impact do you think this additional £25 annual fee will have? Will it start to detract players, or will it start to deter, sorry, players from from wanting to play the game? Do you think there'll be a, a, a reluctance, but, you know, we will pay it? What, what, what do you think will happen? I, I'm not just going to speak for Bevel here. I'm going to speak going to speak for amateur clubs and you know amateur clubs work so hard to to get players playing our sport they work unbelievably hard whether that's you know doing some marketing initiatives in the local area putting on fun days making sure that that we're having enjoyable sessions and that it's a safe friendly environment for when these players do turn up then all of a sudden we've got to say, oh, I'm sorry, but to but to sign on, you've you've got to give us twenty five pound. Of course, that's going to detract. It's not even giving you twenty five pound, is it? No, it's well, no. giving the RFL. Yeah, of course that's going to put people off. You know, when I was playing the game, when I was a young kid, you know, I was very lucky that I had you know parents, grandparents, aunties, and uncles who, who supported me all the way. You know, taking me to games and taking me to training and buying me kit and and all this. And all this, that, and the other. But there's a lot of kids out there who don't have that, who don't have that support system, and they've had the courage and the guts and the determination to say, right, I, you know, I don't care what my mum and dad's doing or what they're not doing. I'm going to go and try and better myself, get involved in a club and get involved in a sport and learn it. And and they do that off their own initiative. And I would not want, a, a, you know. If I had a, a 12-year-old boy or girl come up to me and say, well, um, sorry, Joe, I don't have £25 um, and uh, and so therefore I can't sign on, we don't want to turn them down. And you're telling me, surely the RFL don't want to turn them down either. We want as many people playing the game as possible because that's our future players, that's our future coaches, that's our future, you know, pundits in the game who, who who drive the sport so of course it's going to detract from it I feel very strongly on this Craig and you know I'm not going full Gary Neville or Jamie Carragher on it but um, you know well, for me the RFL and the survey is a joke the survey is an absolute joke because it, it sounds like this, this decision's made and all, we, all we've got to say is where the money's going to go so I urge anybody who, who, who feel, completes the survey just put in the comment section where there is a comment section how strongly you feel against it if you do. Um, and also, if, if you think I'm totally off the mark, I'd love love for you to prove me prove me wrong. I'll try and persuade me otherwise. But at, the, at this moment in time, Craig, I'm dead set against it. I've just got two final things to say. And one of them's just on the back of what you've been saying. Were you, were you talking about your young kids who are, are coming to, to play rugby, to learn rugby, you know, everything that goes with rugby. It's more than that, Joe. Yeah. They come in and they're building friendships that last a lifetime. They're coming and they're learning life skills, social skills, discipline, attitude, which actually prepares them for the working world because the vast majority, you know, be some parents listening to this who think, oh, not my child, but the vast majority of kids who play rugby league at community levels they'll never make it in the professional game that that's just the harsh reality of it but what they learn in this fantastic team environment this team sport sets them up for life and it's that that is also being overlooked my, my final comment and, and this is coming at you from i know you've done your level two coaching course who paid for you to do that course, because I'm guessing that the money went to the RFL. Yeah, yeah. Who pays so, that fee? I was very fortunate that um, Beverly Braves um, put me forward and paid for me to go onto that course. But uh, I know that obviously some clubs might not be in that position, and coaches literally have to fund that on the on, for themselves if they want to be in, in, involved in the game. So my point being, and and it's. Re- it's the same point whether or not the club pays the fee or the individual pays the fee. The community is actually paying the Rugby Football League to obtain the relevant training in order to train the next generation of Rugby League players. 
And my point there is, even without this £25 membership fee, the club are already paying the Rugby Football League to effectively do their work for them by having all these volunteers who were certified, qualified, you know, meet all the criteria to to help train and keep these young kids entertained and enjoying the game of rugby league. And, and I feel for the community game at the moment. Like I said, I know we've had we've had one response saying that it works out at fifty pence per week. And can you I pay get it that. weekly? Can you I, pay it fifty p a well, week? That's the thing. I, I understand it. I understand their perspective in in terms of, you know, it's not a large amount of money, as in it it, it won't break the bank. But to some people, to some families, that twenty five pound, because I'm guessing that they'll need it by a certain date, that twenty five pound at that moment in time could be their weekly food shopping, and and you know. There needs to be a reality check. We're, we're not soccer. We're not rugby union. We're not tennis. We're not cricket. We're we're, we're not affluent. Um, we're not an affluent sport. And and generally, the sport's not played by affluent families, people. So the RFL, I think they need to have a look at this. And I, and I think their starting point needs to be offering clarity to all community clubs on what that money will actually get them. Um, well, well, that's what the survey. Yeah, that's what the survey is for, and uh, you've got to give credit. You know, they're being proactive at, at the RFL. They're thinking that you know central funding isn't going to last, and they're going to have to look at getting money into the sport. Totally agree with that. Totally agree with that the more money in the sport, the better. But for me, asking the people who are volunteering at the lowest level of our sport, but it's the grassroots level. If you don't have them, you don't have anything else. It's totally, totally wrong. Okay, so moving on, Joe, let's um, let's get away from the, 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 the controversial chat that we've had. Um, about obviously the rugby football league and the community game. I'm sure it's going to rumble on. And 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 like you say, if any of our listeners that we've tweeted the link to the survey, I'm sure it'll be um, on every other community channel as well. So you know, get involved, have you say? Let's have a look forward to this coming weekend's games. Um, I think there's some belters lined up. I think Wigan Castleford is potentially going to be. One of the games of the season. Speaking of Castleford, didn't you um, drop something into last week's episode about the potential new coach at the Tigers being one certain Lee Radford? Is there any update on that, Joe? What do you know? Well, obviously, it's been in the in the in the headlines recently that Lee Radford has um, has been offered the job uh, for Castleford, but my understanding is is that. Lee Rafford is going to turn down that job for Castleford um, as he wants to explore better opportunities in Rugby Union. He feels that there's better opportunities in Rugby Union uh, than the Castleford job. And obviously we're not savvy to the to the deal that Lee Rafford was on or, or the terms, what about what assistant coaches he can bring in and, and the structures maybe that he can put in place. Uh, but my understanding is, is that he feels that there's better opportunities to explore in rugby union and he will turn down the Castleford job. So that'd be quite interesting. Wouldn't A little it? scoop there for scoop Marley, scoop Marley. <laughs> All right, then. Um, Old Kingston Rovers have, have got a, a game against uh, the Leeds Rhinos this weekend. Leeds are, are welcoming back a few players to their squad. And I, I think Rovers are set to give, is it Takarangi's his, his debut? Yeah. Um, I think that's a much-needed debut. You know, we said it on our previous podcast that you know relying on Michael Lewis for for the for the for the full season is is not going to be fair on his development, but also might be um, damaging to to, to Hulk AR in the future as well. Um, having a bit more of an experienced halfback in there, I think, will help and allow Michael Lewis maybe to take a bit of a breather and uh, maybe come off the bench and. 
play and, and and have an impact on the game. But yeah, it'd be certainly interesting to see how Takarangi goes. Um and hopefully Hull KR, you know, can use the momentum and that, that win that they've had against Huddersfield and really give Leeds a good go. Um I think Leeds, like you say, Leeds are bringing back some some big hitters this week. So they certainly missed them, didn't they, last week against Wigan. As much as they had 100% effort and determination to try and win, they just lack that quality to break Wigan. Wigan's defence down, which, you know, a lot of teams will, will, will come unstuck against Wigan. But, yeah, I think we'll see a um, a better attack in Leeds against Hull KR, and that's something which Hull KR need to be, to be up for and, and, and show qualities in defence to be able to keep them out. And, and how do you see the game going? I, I I could see Hulkey are putting up a, a a good performance. You know that, that they they've done that throughout this this year. You know, hundred percent effort, uh, maybe lacking quality and composure at times. But I think they'll fit, I think they'll fall short in this game. I think Leeds will bounce bounce back from uh, the Wigan defeat and narrowly beat Hulkey this week. Okay, and all FC have have got a I think another home tie um, against. Wakefield Trinity, um, obviously no Josh Reynolds back yet. Uh, Leaguey Sow, I think, is has been announced in the squad. Um, no Mano Mau. Um, although I think, to be fair, as someone <laughs> hinted at over the weekend on social media, Jordan Lane showed Mano Mau how to play at the weekend. It, there's a lot of jury out on Mau at the moment. Um in terms of his performances, but how do you Go see? On, You've got an opinion on Mal. Go on, let's uh, let's have it. My, my opinion is that he's not showing the form that he showed in the NRL. You, you, there's footage of Jonathan Thurston, one of the best halfbacks ever to play the game, on a panel next to the other best halfback ever to play the game, Andrew Johns, and they're being asked. Who is the most feared opponent you've ever faced? Joey Johns said it was Gordon Tallis, Raging Bull, and, and I think you can understand why. Jonathan Thurston, Mano Mau, and they showed some footage of Mano Mau playing for Parramatta, and he just looked fierce. He looked awesome. And there was a an air of excitement when Hull FC announced his signing, quite rightly so, based on his performances for Parramatta. Brilliant line running, aggression in defence. I, I am saying he's played badly, but we've not seen that side of his game yet in a black and white shirt. Yeah, I, I think that is fair to say, Craig. More to come. You know, he's been solid, hasn't he? But this season's been solid. You know, I think his passes, sometimes some of his passes are absolutely shocking. You know, normally we associate NRL players with having really high-level core skills. Well, his passing um, certainly been left, you know, to the, to the, to be desired. Bloody hell, I can't speak, Joe. Has been left to be desired. Um, and... John Lace took his chance last week. Took his chance, you know, some unbelievable line line running. He shows a turn of pace as well when he's brought yeah, the line. The lane and train. Again, that, that, that composure, when, you know, when when you need it, you know, to, to, to finish that move off, you know. He, 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 he evaded the fullback. He rode the tackle and he got a nice offload away. He didn't panic and kick it dead or throw a 50-yard pass into touch. You know, he, he shows some composure for a young, for a young whole lad and yeah, um, I think it's exciting, and obviously you've then moved Joe Cater back to 13, and that's, I think that's again that's very very solid. You got Ligas out to come back this week again. He's been massive for us in these opening couple of rounds. So so yeah, um, all are winning that they on Friday. Oh yeah, yeah. I think FC are, are going to win by 24 for me. Um, sorry, Reese, if you're listening. Yeah, sorry, but but just on the the mano mal. I won't tell him to his face down a dark alley. Obviously, I, you know, I'd, I'd ask him for his tie-ups. Um, Come but, to my yeah. under twelve training, and I'll teach him how to pass. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully, you know, he, he's just going through a phase, and you know, we, we, 
it's a marathon, not a sprint. And hopefully his peak is on October the 9th at the Theatre of Dreams as we're beating whoever, you know. Okay. <laughs> in that grand final. Um, Joe, before we finish, I just want to uh, do a couple of shout-outs, if I can. Um, whilst we've been recording this, I've noticed on our Twitter account we've had um, well-known local DJ Ben Rainey followers <laughs> on Twitter. So, you know, we, we've got our first celebrity following. Whether he listens to us or not, I don't know. Um, obviously, big, big, big friends of Jan's. Is he? Big fan of the big show. Fan of yeah. the show. Um, yeah. Best mates with Jansen Target. Maybe we can get Jansen on and, and maybe even Ben on. He can do some background music for one of our episodes. And also, to just a, a shout out to my uh, former youth coach, Tom Jessup, who's listen, listening. He listens to the show. Uh, messaged me this afternoon asking me when this episode w- was 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 going live. And he, he lives in Benel Medina in Spain. So. We've got some listeners uh, tuning in in Spain, and, and he messaged me to actually say that uh, during our episode last week, where Joe and I had our <laughs> what feels like weekly debate about uh, Jake Connor, and, and my view is is that you know he's a, he's an undoubted talent, um, but not yet world class, not not yet got that that ability to turn a game from within our own half similar to the likes of Tedesco and Papenhausen. I'm not doubting his potential and he's full of that. And we said, let us know whether you uh, agree or disagree with me. Well, Tom messaged me to say that he agreed with me on my view on Jake Connor. So it's it's good to know at least I've got one person standing by my side, John. And, you know, so far, I don't think anyone's told you that they agree with you, have they? Well... I'd say you will be agreeing with me at the end of the year when Sean Wayne picks him for England. So Well, I, I, said, I, I said to you, didn't I? I'll happily be told I'm wrong at the end of the year. Um, but if he continues with his, his form and he, and he's consistent and stays out of trouble, because I think that's a big thing for him and, and he's done well so far in terms of not getting involved in any on-field antics, then I'm sure that he will feature... In uh, in Sean Wayne's England squad at some point, um, Joe. That that that's it from me. Have you got any final words? Yeah, this one's been really enjoyable, Craig. We've got into some really meaty topics. I think some controversial stuff, which I'm hoping will really engage our listeners and you know really want your 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 thoughts and opinions on some of the topics that we've discussed. You know, hit us up on on Twitter at Set Restart Rugby League and well RL for short, um, and and we really would like to include your views and we'll give you a shout out. We'll give you a shout out on um, on on our next episode. So no, thank you for getting involved. All right, well thanks for that, Joe. Some really engaging and interesting debate we've had. Um, I think we balance each other quite nicely in terms of views on the game, the way it should run. Um, but like Joe said, if if you want to get involved and, and share us your thoughts, uh, we're always open to alternative views because there are some things that we don't necessarily see. We don't, we can't always look at the big picture in, in the way that many others do. Um, but thanks for listening in and join us next time on Set Restarts. Mm-hmm.